0: As the choir is coming down, I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Don't you love that song? Start at the manger and go to the cross, the Gospel message. And that's what we'll be focused on uh, throughout our preaching time today. John chapter 1, if you're using one of the Bibles in the rack in front of you, I think it's page 941. If you had to describe yourself in just three or four words, uh, what words would you choose? I want you to think about it, I I really want you to come up with some words, I'm not going to call on you. Well, I might call on you, so make sure you have some words, three or four words. If you had to describe yourself, uh, maybe you'd refer to your relationships. Maybe one of your four words would be, I am a mother, or I am a husband. Uh, Maybe you'd refer to your profession. You might say, I am a, a mechanic, or I am a professor, or I am a secretary. Uh, what words would you choose? Just four words, three or four words to describe your character, uh, who you are, something about your identity. Uh, maybe you'd talk about your faith. Maybe one of your four words would be believer or Christian. Maybe you'd talk about some of your, uh, your best attributes. Uh, maybe your word would be good looking. That would be one of my four words. And, <laughs> and you can count that as just one as long as one of your others isn't the word smart. Okay? Okay. Then you can count that as one. What would be the four words that you would use to describe yourself? Caring, honest. You know, it's interesting that as we read the Gospel of John chapter 1, we see here an introduction of Jesus. And John the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, does just what I've asked you to do. He, He comes up with four words to describe Jesus. And and these four words are so interesting because really they they tell us almost everything there is to know about Jesus. In fact, as we read through the Gospels and we learn more and more about Jesus, almost everything we learn will fall under the heading of one of these four words. This is a masterful introduction. These four words tell us who Jesus is, his nature, his character, his relationships. Uh, Do you know what the words are? We've been talking about them for a few weeks. The first word is Word. Jesus is the Word. And you see that right at the beginning of John chapter 1. The second word is Light. Jesus is Light. The third word that we're going to talk about today is Jesus is Flesh. Flesh. And then tonight, uh, as we come back for our Christmas Eve service, hope you'll be here tonight. It's going to be a great service. Uh, we're going to just spend a few minutes, but we're going to look at the last of these words. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. And by studying these four words, we accomplish what our goal has been here in the month of December, just to stand amazed at Jesus. You know, often when we, when we come together in the preaching time, one of the main goals is life transformation, And I want to tell you at the end of the message that because of what we have read in scripture and what we've learned today, here's how we ought to live differently. And and that's an important thing to do. But I've not really done that and I'm not going to do that today because these messages are more about who Jesus is than what we should do. Uh, I think one of the things that a Christian ought to do is just to learn to stand amazed uh, with a fresh look at the wonderful power and beauty of Jesus. And so we see that in these in these four words. I want you to see that there's a little bit of a progression here. And so if you look at the first word, second, third, fourth, you, you see that it starts very philosophical. When it says Jesus is the word, I mean, what even does that mean? That's a philosophical thing. And we, we talked about what it meant a couple of weeks ago. It, it, it talked about his relationship with the Father. It talked about his nature. He is God. It talked about his purpose. He expresses God. But it's a philosophical word. Jesus is the word. And then we get to the next one. It's still a little bit philosophical, but it's, it's at least something that we can see, right? Jesus is light, and, and so we learned what that meant, that Jesus, the Bible is telling us, really is life, L-I-F-E, but that's difficult to understand. And so since, since he, he wanted us to have a very good understanding of what it means that Jesus is life, he says life is like light. Jesus is light. That's a little less philosophical because you can see it. Uh, but but, but it's still a little bit uh, philosophical it it tells us something about about Jesus We have to do some thinking and then the next word is even less philosophical Jesus is flesh you can touch flesh Jesus is blood and and organs and skin and feet and toes and Jesus is flesh And then when we get to the last one Jesus is the lamb now We're talking about something that can walk around and so it's something even more concrete and so we go from tangible to concrete But there's another progression you see in those four words. We go from something that really is separate from us to something that absolutely intersects with who we are. For instance, uh, it says that he he is the word. He's talking about the fact that Jesus is God and that he's always existed. And you know, that was true even before we were created. That really doesn't even have anything directly to do with us, Jesus is the word. And that stands apart from anything that might happen with with me or with you. And then when it says Jesus is the light, it's talking about now Jesus as the eternal word of God begins to intersect with us because he shines on us. And then when we talk about Jesus flesh, we're getting even more personal, right? Because then, then Jesus says, become one of us. He's flesh like we're flesh. And then when we get tonight to Jesus as the lamb, we see absolutely how Jesus intersects with our lives because Jesus as the lamb is the answer to my biggest problem. And so we see this, uh, Jesus is the, is the word, which is, which is just true whether or not you and I even exist all the way down to Jesus is the lamb, which makes a daily difference in my life. There's much to learn in these, in these four words. But today we're going to focus on the third one. Jesus is flesh. And so look with me in John chapter one, and we're going to begin reading in verse 14. John chapter one, verse 14, our scripture says, the word became flesh. It dwelt among us. We observe his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, some have suggested that this is one of the five most important verses in all the Bible. And so if it is that important, we have to spend a little bit of time on it. So let's let's look at it more closely. It begins by saying the Word. So this ties it back to what we see in John 1.1. John 1.1, if you just look up in your Bible, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. We've already learned that. And here it says the Word, Jesus, becomes flesh. Now, flesh, what does it mean that Jesus becomes flesh? Well, you've got to understand that Jesus is God and God is spirit. God is invisible. God can't be touched. God can't be located. Where is God? Well, God is everywhere. God is everywhere that there is a where to be. He's everywhere. And so when Jesus became flesh, he goes from invisible to visible. Jesus goes from untouchable to touchable. Jesus goes from everywhere to a location. Jesus becomes flesh. Flesh. He has blood, he has muscles, he, he, and this is hard to imagine, his life in a sense depends on the function of a kidney and a liver. I mean, this is the, the, the mighty God, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains all things, and now he's sustained by a liver. Jesus becomes flesh. Now, another thing we see right here in the first few words is just that important word became. Jesus became flesh. Now, throughout Christian history, there have been many heresies. There have been many untruths that have been taught about Jesus that have confused people and even, I think, uh, separated people from God forever and ever and ever. And and many of those uh, are, are directly connected to who is Jesus. And some have suggested that Jesus, the Son of God, did not become flesh, that he ap- appeared to be flesh, it was an illusion. Or, or, or Jesus just possessed flesh that belonged to somebody else, that he just sort of overtook somebody's body. But no, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus became flesh. He actually became. His nature, one of his natures, was flesh at the incarnation. And you really see this all the way through the book of John Um, I was looking this week just for examples, uh, of, of how Jesus just lived a fleshly life, not a sinful life. I don't mean that, but he, he, he had all the weaknesses of, of flesh. It says in John chapter four that Jesus was weary. You ever been weary? You ever just been tired? Jesus was tired for the first time. Jesus had never been tired before the incarnation you know that right but he's tired in in chapter 4 verse 7 it says that Jesus was thirsty Jesus felt like he had to have something to drink that's amazing to me it says in, in John chapter 11 that Jesus groaned with emotion and he grieved he grieved even emotionally he's he's flesh Jesus wept openly In uh, chapter 11 verse 35 now Jesus bled on the cross and Jesus died Jesus became flesh now let's let's continue on verse 15 it says John testified concerning him and exclaimed this was the one of whom I said the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me this is a little confusing John wrote the book of John But when John talks about John, he's talking about a different John, okay? So when John says John, at least in this part, he's talking about John the Baptist. And here he says Jesus is the one of whom John the Baptist said the Messiah is coming. And so he's just making a historical connection with his contemporaries there. Verse 16, it says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so, when Moses came, he showed us the law of God. But when Jesus came, he showed us the grace and the mercy of God. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. So, there's one of the references to the fact that God is invisible. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God... Your Bible might say the begotten son the only begotten son we talked about that a week or two ago that means the unique son of God who is himself God is at the father's side and he has revealed him look at those last three or four words the son has revealed the father that word reveal uh, in in the original language uh, is a word that you know the Greek word there is a word that you may be familiar with Uh, It's the word exegete, at least that's how we would pronounce it in English. Do you know what it means to exegete something? This is uh, a Bible study word, but really it can be used in any of the academic disciplines. If you take a text and you really study what that means and you figure out from the text the meaning that's being communicated and you share it with somebody, then you have exegeted the text. And so if you're sort of a Bible study geek you've heard that word you've used that word you exegete the text that's what I try to do when I stand and preach is I take the text I try to figure out what the text is saying not what I want to say about the text but what the text what the words are communicating and when I figure that out I try to tell you that and and that's exegeting the text well here it says that uh, that Jesus has exegeted God what does that mean That Jesus, who has seen God, Jesus, who existed eternally at the right hand of the Father, now communicates to us the nature and the wonder and the glory of God. Jesus became flesh. Now, why in the world uh, would God do that? We've heard the Christmas story so many times. I I think it's lost its strangeness. But, But let's just think about it anew. Why in the world with God become flesh with God the creator of everything, the master of everything, why would he be born as a baby? Don't you see how dangerous that is? It almost seems foolhardy. I mean, what if Mary would have dropped the baby? What what, what if an animal would have stepped on Jesus? I mean, what if if the cold would have uh, gotten him exposure? What if he had gotten the flu? I I mean, God becomes flesh. It seems like an absurd thing. Why in the world would he do that? It seems to me like there would have been some other options and some better options. Jesus could have just come to us in spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit comes to us. The Holy Spirit is here in this room with us. He, he dwells within each of us and, and that's God in us. And uh, th- there's no danger of the Holy Spirit catching the flu or getting stepped on by a donkey, okay? I mean, doesn't that seem like a better thing? Why didn't, why didn't God, the Son, just come to us in spirit form? Or, or, or maybe this why didn't he come to us as an angel in fact if you read the Old Testament it at least appears that Jesus showed up in the form of an angel several times in history I mean if it was good enough then why is it not good enough now why didn't Jesus just come in the form of an angel or maybe Jesus could have come as a pillar of fire that had gotten people's attention right Maybe instead of having manger scene in our front yard, we would all just have a a big pillar of fire in our front yard. I mean, your neighbors would notice that, wouldn't they? And and God had had come in the form of a pillar of fire on more than one occasion. And, And when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, God appeared as this big pillar of fire, got their attention, directed their way. Why didn't Jesus just come like that? Or he could have come as a cloud of glory that just would have inspired all somehow in people. I mean, why did, did Jesus come as flesh? Why do we even need John 1, 14? Why did Jesus come as flesh? Well, there are a lot of very good reasons. And I wanna share with you three of them this morning. And you see them right here in this passage we've read. I think this is one of the most important questions uh, there is. Why did Jesus come as flesh? And, uh, and, and I want to answer it. I want us to, I want us to allow scripture to answer that this morning. So three simple reasons. Number one, he, he came as flesh to die for man. Why did Jesus come in, in the flesh so that he could die for man? Now we're going to talk more about this just briefly tonight in our Lord's Supper and uh, Christmas Eve service Uh, But let me tell you this, uh, because we we can't really answer the question, why did he come as flesh without talking of this? Jesus was born to die. Absolutely the number one reason that Jesus came to the earth in the flesh was to die. Now people have other, will see other assignments in Christ's life and they will assume that those are the most important sometimes. Some people say that Jesus was a great teacher. Now, is that true? Well, it's true as far as it goes. Jesus was a great teacher. And when he taught, he always taught the truth. But Jesus did not come to teach. Jesus came to die. In fact, we're not here this morning because Jesus was a great teacher. Now, we study the teachings of Jesus. But but we have not gathered now, 2,000 years later, just to worship a great teacher. No, we're here because Jesus died. Somebody might say, well, Jesus came to perform miracles. Well, Jesus did perform miracles. He performed great miracles. He could do whatever he wanted to do. But Jesus didn't come to do miracles. We're not here worshiping him because he did things that cannot be scientifically explained. No, we're here because he died. Jesus came to die. Some people might say Jesus came to heal. Well, Jesus did heal people. Jesus still heals people. But Jesus didn't come to heal people. We are not here because Jesus healed a handful of people in his lifetime. No, Jesus came to die. In fact, if you think about it, God did all of those things before Jesus came and he continued to do them afterwards, right? God was teaching us before there was Jesus in the flesh. God was doing miracles before Jesus in the flesh. God was healing people before Jesus in the flesh and God is still doing those things none of those are a reason for Jesus to become flesh Jesus came to die that was his purpose now why did why did it have to be in the flesh why did it have to be skin and blood and fingernails and hair I mean why did it have to be flesh because listen had Jesus come as a spirit he could not have died had Jesus come as a spirit he could not have died and had Jesus come as anything other than flesh, he could not have died for flesh. You see, Jesus came to die in my place. And for Jesus to die in my place, he has to become like me. For Jesus to die for flesh, he has to be flesh. Jesus came to die. Imagine that you're arrested for a terrible crime. You've, you've killed seven people, okay? Now, hopefully that's not any of you and won't be, but... Uh, so you have done this uh, terrible terrible thing and so you've been arrested you've been tried found guilty You're standing before the judge and the sentence of execution has been has been handed down You have taken a life you have taken seven lives And so now your life will be taken and, and so you it's your time to speak and you tell the judge. No, please I don't want to die. Certainly. We can come up with something else. There's got to be another punishment that, uh, that, that, that we, That'll fit the crime and the judge says, no, there is no other punishment. You took these lives, your life is demanded. Then you might say, well, I, I have some suggestions, judge. Maybe instead of taking my life, we could just extinguish a candle, okay? I mean, we could light a candle, judge, and then we just we just blow it out. Forever and ever the candle is out. Why don't we let that be the punishment? Or or, or the judge doesn't like that. So he said, well, let's, let's drown a chia pet. You remember what a chia pet is? People used to make fun of my bald head by giving me chia pets for Christmas. I, I don't understand the connection. I'm proud of my, my bald head, but uh, you you say, judge, we'll, you know, we'll take a chia pet, we'll drown a chia pet or, or or maybe we'll we'll take an expensive crystal vase and we'll throw it on the floor and we'll watch it burst into a thousand pieces now why would the judge not be interested in any of those things because none of that makes up for a life maybe a life has been taken a life has to be given and none of that compares to a life now if in the courtroom somebody else walked up who was innocent and said judge I will die in his place Now at least now we've got something that will get the judges attention right because now we've got another life Jesus came to be that life So that there would be a remedy for our sin so that there could be a substitute Sufficient for our punishment Jesus had to become flesh There's a theological description of this and I can show it to you on the screen. I believe Galatians chapter 4 Let's look at this It says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What it says is that God sent Jesus and qualified him to stand in our place, which meant he became flesh for the soul, or at least the first purpose, to die for us. Why did Jesus become flesh? To die for man. The second reason he became flesh uh, is, uh, is, is to be the sympathetic priest. The sympathetic priest. Uh, sympathetic means that he uh, sympathizes with us, that he understands, that he's with us, the priest, the, the one who communicates to God on our behalf. Do you know what Jesus is doing today? You ever thought about that? Christmas Eve? I don't know if they celebrate Christmas Eve in heaven, but. Well, what's Jesus doing on Christmas Eve? You think he's playing Connect Four with Gabriel? That'd be an interesting interesting game to watch. Maybe he is uh, taking a nap, right? I bet some of you'll take a nap today, right? Maybe, uh, Maybe he's throwing the football with Elijah. Is that what Jesus is doing today? Well, he may be doing those things, but the chief thing that Christ is doing today, the Bible makes this clear, is that he is interceding on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? So the father, picture the father sitting on the throne. And there's another throne right next to that. And Jesus is sitting on that throne. And Jesus is leaning over and he's whispering in the father's ear. And you know what he's talking about? He's talking about me and you. You. He says, listen, look at, look at Noah. He, he needs wisdom. He needs forgiveness. He needs direction. He needs grace and mercy and peace. And look what he's going through. And look how he's being tempted. And, and look, he didn't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and he's, he's interceding for, for us. One of the reasons why Jesus became flesh is so that he would be qualified to intercede for us. I, I think the word intercede is, is probably not a strong enough picture for what Jesus is really doing. I think a probably a better word would be the word advocate. Jesus is advocating on our behalf. Do you know what that means? I remember years ago when I was in college, I had a had a problem with the administration. I was I was in college under one program uh, that that you know I was going a certain direction, taking certain classes, and the funding was there for this. And, and I just got word one day, about halfway through, that they had canceled that program, which just sort of left me out. In you know with nothing and 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 what I'd done wasn't going to count and I couldn't go forward and what I was doing they just canceled the program so I I, I called the, the the people who were over the program and they said well listen the, the funding didn't come from us the funding comes from some another a, administrative group here on campus and they cut the funding we don't have funding. We, it's out of our hands nothing we can do we we sympathize with you we're sorry we we see your point um, nothing we can do. We don't have the funding. So I, so I call the other organization and they said, well, you know, I, we, we did cut off the funding, but, but, uh, uh the, uh, we, we, got our orders from this other group. I mean, we were told to do that because, because this other administrative group here on campus told us to do it. And, and you know, we sympathize with you. We're, we're sorry. We wish we could help. We, you know, we, we, we love you, but, uh, sorry, we just follow in distress. So I call that group. And then that group says, well, yeah, we didn't tell this group to stop funding to that group, but we did it because the, f- the first group that I talked to didn't uh, request further funding. <laughs> and so everybody, it's somebody else's fault. And, and, you know, I think everybody was trying to help me. I think everybody was telling the truth. Everybody was sympathetic. But I, but I didn't have the authority to get all three of those people in the same room to get this thing figured out. And I didn't know what I was going to do until I stumbled across in the little phone directory thing for the university that they had an advocacy office. And so I called, I said, well, what, what do y'all do? Advocacy office. I so, said, well, we advocate for students who are having problems. So I told them the situation and, and then they called me back in about a week and they said, listen, it's not. Don't worry about it. I said, well, how'd you do that? I, I used all my words. I couldn't do it. How, how did you accomplish that? And they said, well, you know, we, we have the authority to, to get this person on a conference call, and this person on a conference call, and that person on a conference call, and, and we got everybody talking, and everybody wanted to help, and they figured out a way to do it. Now, what those people had done for me is they had the standing, they had the authority, they had the phone numbers that I didn't have, and they worked on my behalf to do something I couldn't do. Now, Jesus is our advocate That's what he's doing today. And he's qualified to do that. He's qualified to do that because Jesus is God. He's got the connections with God, so to speak. The standing with God, he is God. And he is a person. He has standing with me. He understands what I'm going through. And so because he, he has both of those, he is qualified to be my advocate. And he is qualified to be my intercessor. Uh, Hebrews uh, 725, I I to show this to you on the screen it says, therefore he is able to save completely those to come to God through him since he always intercedes for them. How often does he do that? Always. He lives to intercede for us. This is, uh, I know a silly illustration, uh, but I, I know one of the problems that we have here in Nacogdoches and it seems like every city I've ever lived in has had the same problem, uh, there are just too many deer or too many cars On the roads at the same time, right? How many of you in the last few years have uh, Encountered a deer have have hunted a deer with your car. I mean several of you. I mean we um, uh, That's probably why our insurance rates are so high. I, I hate to see what uh, the insurance rates the deer are paying uh, but um, You are know, always we're always hitting deer with our car now if, if, if you've ever thought about that it seems like a problem that, uh, that ought to be able to be solved. I don't want to hit deer with my car and the deer don't want to be hit by my car, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, prices are going up and I want them to go down, but the business wants them to go up. I mean, th- then you've got sort of a conflict of interest, but me and the deer have the same interest. Neither, we, we need to have some right away system so that we know when they're going to cross and they know when we're going to cross. I mean, it would... It would benefit both of us, us and the deer, if we had worked this out. So how, I, I propose as one of the newest citizens of Nacogdoches that, uh, that we, we try to uh, you know, get a treaty or something with the deer. Now who are we gonna send as our representative? Well, that, see, there's the problem, right? We could send our great mayor of Nacogdoches But the problem is so far as I know our mayor doesn't speak deer right and we don't even know where their you know Capitol building is I I don't even know where we would send the mayor and if the mayor got there there would be no way the mayor could communicate with them because the mayor is not a deer we could appear to appeal to the governor of the deer um, but the problem is the the governor of the deer doesn't know who to talk to and can't talk to us I mean you, you just see there's a problem here right what we need is is somebody who is both deer and man. We, we need somebody who could who could bridge this gap. Well, in a sense, and this is I know cheesy illustration, I understand, but it'll communicate to some people. what, what Jesus is, is someone who who can bridge the gap. I mean, we have an interest to be able to to go to God for forgiveness and for wisdom and direction and peace and joy and all the things that God has. God desires. It's not that God doesn't want to help and he has to be talked into it. Jesus isn't twisting God's arm. God desires that. We just need a mediator. And Jesus is the mediator. Let me walk you through just quickly some verses in Hebrews 4, and we can show these to you on the screen. I think these are some of those beautiful verses in the Bible. Hebrews 4.14 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confessions. Listen, don't give up because Jesus, Jesus, who became flesh, who walked like you walk, who've experienced difficulties like you experienced difficulties, he is our high priest standing before the father Hebrews four fifteen says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way as we yet without sin Jesus says, Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely Jesus knows what it's like to be discouraged Jesus knows what it's like to be frustrated Jesus knows what it's like to have family problems Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and so one who knows what it is like is able to sympathize with us and for us and then hebrews four sixteen. the next verse therefore let us let us approach the throne of grace therefore that's the important word here because jesus is flesh and god because of that let us approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need we could come boldly before the father why because jesus became flesh and he died for us i remember a bunch of years ago i was um, was in Kenya not a bunch of years ago but a few years ago I was in Kenya on a mission trip and we were um, uh, there really to minister to uh, what at least we called native Kenyans and uh, we um, uh, we worked through a a native church there and uh, just uh, made some great uh, lifelong friends there in Kenya Uh, the Kenyans the native Kenyans were very poor Uh, they lived in mud huts Uh, they had to walk a mile or two many of them to get water Um, they had hardly any protein in their diet, but they, they were relatively healthy. Um, they, uh, there, was, there, there was pineapples growing on all the trees in the jungle. Uh, there were nuts uh, um, growing on, on the trees. I mean, they, they had plenty of food. They didn't have the food that maybe you and I would want to eat, but, um, but they, had, they had great, great food. And, and so we were ministering to these, but we went to Watamu, uh, which is a, a coastal city there in Kenya. And we... And while we were in Watamu, we, we saw, me and the people with us, we saw a, 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 sort of, a bunch of houses that were hooked together. And, and these were brick houses. Uh, and it just looked like a big brick maze. Uh, n- no roofs on most of the houses, just a big brick maze. And so we, we went into there, and our guides explained that these were the Bajuni people. The Bajunis live in two different places in Kenya. This was the smaller tribe of the Bajunis. And... It was a whole different place. These people were very poor. They made the people in the mud huts look like they were millionaires. Uh, mo- most of these people, like I said, didn't have roofs on their houses, just a- four concrete walls. And uh, there were hardly any men. Uh, most of the men had died, uh, just, a f- just a few men. The only sustenance the men had w- were as fishermen. And so they would paddle these boats that would look like canoes to us. Miles out into the ocean, with fish line tied around their arm, they would fish like that. It was a dangerous thing. Many of them never returned. Uh, the women, the only sustenance they had was to uh, was the sex trade business. Uh, a lot of Italian um, tourists came for that purpose uh, to uh, Watamu. Uh, as a result, um, disease was rampant. And even though they lived not far from a jungle filled with food, they were starving to death. The kids had the big bellies, and they were sitting listless you could talk to a kid and the kid was awake the eyes were open fixed but they, they wouldn't even follow you um wouldn't respond it was terrible just heartbreaking no no christians at all uh among at least this part of the bajunis uh there were a couple of christian missions there but uh, that is really what turned them off to christ there were a couple of christian organizations quote unquote christian organizations in europe That had come in and built like a little school like a one-room school and then put a great big chain-link fence around it and then locked it shut And they would come once a year with a camera crew Open the fence have a bag of rice line the kids up feed them take pictures kick the kids back out Lock the place back up and they would go and they would use those pictures to fundraise and so the Bajunis hated Christians they were Muslim uh, but their hatred of Christianity didn't come primarily from their Muslim faith. It just came from their experience. I mean, you would hate Christians too. But we just really felt the tug of the Lord that we needed to try to have a ministry somehow lead somebody to Christ of these Bajunis. They were hopeless. And so there was a Bajuni chief, and uh, we, he was very suspicious, of course, of Christians uh, he was very suspicious of anybody from the West because of the sex trade and because of this uh, fundraising that uh, they were used for. Uh, he was at least rumored to be a very violent man. I don't know if that was true or not, but we, we were scared. We, we didn't, we just weren't sure we could knock on his door and what, what exactly would happen if we did that. And so we were praying, uh, the, those that were with me from America and those, uh, our friends in Kenya and we were praying, is there some way we could have a conversation with this Bajuni chief? And uh, as we were praying, one of the, one of the Kenyan uh, nationals uh, said, you know, the Lord has just reminded me, I know a businessman uh, who is a believer, uh, and he married a Bajuni woman, and he is very well respected in the Bajuni tribe. Uh, and so we called him, and he said, I know the, the chief very well. I will get you an audience with the chief. And um, and he did. And so he escorted us through the village and uh, he walked up to the chief's house and knocked on the door and in we go. N- not because we had some standing, but because this businessman was respected because, because he was a Christian. He was a brother in Christ. He, was, he had standing with us. We had standing with him. And, and because... He had earned the respect of the Bajunis in his business practices. He, 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 see, he could bring us together. With, well, because of Jesus, we can come boldly, listen, before a dangerous, holy, wrathful, just God. Because we have standing with Jesus and Jesus has standing with him. And so... First Timothy chapter two, verse five says this, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. And then the final reason uh, that he became flesh uh, is, is this. If you look back at verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt, dwelt among us. What does it mean that Jesus dwelt among us? I think that's one of the one of the most fascinating words. That it's the word "skeno" or "skenao." I think, is, as us pronounced. Um, it, it means to live in a tent. That's what it literally means. So let, let's look back at uh, the verse. It says, "The Word became flesh, and He and he pitched His tent with us." I want you to think about that a moment. If somebody were to move to if somebody were to move to your neighborhood. And they come in and they tear down two or three houses in your neighborhood. They buy the property. They tear them down. And then they they build a new house in the center of those two or three properties. And then they build this giant 20-foot concrete wall around the property. And they they put this iron gate on the front of it. And they put a, a guard out there with a machine gun, okay? Now, what does that communicate to you? About the relationship that they would like to have with their neighbors. Okay? They they have no desire to have a relationship with you. That's why they put that big fence in. That's why they put the concrete wall in. But it'd be a whole different story if they came and they pitched their tent in your backyard, right? Well, this is what the passage says that God became flesh. Just think about this like you've never heard it before. God, the creator of the universe, became flesh so that he could pitch his tent with us you know why did God become flesh why did Jesus become flesh because he wanted to be near to us isn't that amazing he just wanted to be near us he loves us so much he didn't want there to be a distance between us. He didn't want sin to divide us. He wanted to be near us. God wants to be in your life. God loves you so much. He wants to be near you. One, one of my daughters has been off to school for a few months. And, 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 and listen, it, it, it thrilled me to death when she came home for Christmas. I mean, I don't even like her very much. But I, but I am so glad. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I mean, just to go to bed at night lay my head on the pillow and know that my whole family is, is in my house. You know what I mean by that? I mean, it's not even just that i I can see her, but that she's near me. God loves us so much. He sent Jesus to pitch his tent with us. You know, I want to make a proposal. You know, we all have Christmas ornaments at our house and that's good. And so outside your house, you put up, you know, Frosty the snowman and lights and Christmas trees, nothing wrong with any of that. I, it didn't really communicate anything about Christmas. You know that, don't you? I mean, I'm not, if you've got Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus, I mean, more power to you. But, but, but that did not communicate anything. Now, some people put up manger scenes, and of course, that communicates a whole lot more. That's a very good thing to put up. But you know what I think would be the best symbol for Christmas? It's not a Christmas tree. It's not a snowman. It's not even a nativity scene. You know what the best symbol for Christmas would be? be a tent because this is a picture of what Christmas is all about that God became flesh and pitched his tent in our backyards because He so badly wanted to be united to his children you know Jesus said that just plainly like this Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 look at this on the screen says, see, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. We use this verse a lot of times in all the ways that it's not supposed to be used. Uh, It's it's, it's not uh, Jesus trying to get somebody to uh, pray a prayer of salvation. I mean, as important as that is, uh, it's talking about Jesus knocking on the door of a Christian's heart. It's it's implying that a lot of us we, we keep Jesus on the outside of the door, on the outside of our lives, at arm's length, right? But I want you to see what it says at the end of the verse, because this is the part that we usually leave out. We, when we preach this, when I preach this, I usually <laughs> preach about the knocking, and, and I got two or three sermons on that. You want to hear them one day, can't stay, sleep, I'll, I'll share them with you, all right? But I think the best part of the verse is at the end. It doesn't say that if we open the door that Jesus is going to give us a gift, Is that what it says? That Jesus is knocking on the door, if you'll open the door, I will give a gift to you? No, it doesn't say that Jesus will give us a message. It's not open the door, I've got something to tell you. But what does it say Jesus wants to do? He says if you'll open the door, I'm not gonna give you a gift, I don't have a message, I don't have a, if you'll open the door, I wanna come in and I wanna sit down and I want us to be together. I wanna I want eat with you and I want you to eat with me. See, it's Jesus saying the same thing. It's, it's Jesus saying, God became flesh and pitched his tent with us because God desires to be close to us. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, here's, here's the challenge. For many of us, we're followers of Christ we're believers in the Gospel. I mean, you came to church this morning, right? You, you're, you're watching it on television perhaps, or on the internet, I mean, you, you have some affinity for Jesus. But oftentimes we're denying the fellowship of Jesus. We're denying the closeness of Jesus. We're missing the message of Christmas, that he wants to pitch his tent in your life in your marriage, with your children, in your mornings and in your evenings. Here's what I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit as we sing. I want you to hear the Holy Spirit saying the point of Christmas is that I wanna pitch my tent with you. And would you open the door and invite him in? If you don't know Christ as your savior, if this is the first time, trust him for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins because of his work on the cross. But if you're already a child of God, invite him in for fellowship. Invite him in for closeness. But that's what Christmas is about. Father, thank you that Jesus became flesh and pitched his tent in my life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.